1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join
0: the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. This is prevent defense, the podcast.
1: What's going on, everybody? This is the one, the only, the prevent defense podcast on the radio.com sports digital network. I'm Elliot Shore parks along with Brian Baldinger. First, we want to thank everybody that has subscribed and rated our podcast. We really appreciate it. Of course, you can get this podcast wherever you listen to your different podcasts, and as I mentioned, on the Radio.com Sports app. So we are back. It is about to be week six, which is crazy, but Baldy, how you doing, man?
0: I'm great, Elliot. I'm great. I mean, I, you know, we're in, in this uh, path right now where we're entering week six, um, and these weeks are just kind of flying by, and you really have to comb really hard, which 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 is what I do to really kind of know what's going on in, in each of these and each of these teams and because it, it varies week to week as we've seen. And so I'm just trying to get caught up right now and it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, so of course the NFL is coming off of what appears, I mean, of course they're always interesting, but the Cleveland Browns Monday night at San Francisco, really a tale of two teams, two teams heading in different directions. I want to start off of course by talking about the Browns which is weird when you consider the Niners are a team that actually won the game, but it's always interesting with the Browns. So we have the Baker Mayfield handshake gate, which uh, might not be an issue at all after some video comes out of him and Richard Sherman. But overall, I I have my theory on why the Browns are struggling. So first, let me ask you, what is going on with the Browns? I mean, they looked uh, looked a mess on Monday night. I mean, the NFL puts them in a primetime spot and they don't deliver. They only score three points. They lose 31-3. to Just an absolutely embarrassing performance for a team that prior to the season was viewed as not a Super Bowl team, but we've talked about them on the pod, and they're a team that you think could win that division and maybe win a playoff game. Didn't look anything like it last night. What is going on with the Cleveland Browns?
0: Well, I think there's a couple things, Elliot. I mean, I I don't think they're a real complete roster. They lost David Njoku early. They lost their two starting corners. Um, they're, they counted on both the, all three of those players very heavily. Um, they didn't have a particularly great game plan against an elite defensive front. Um, I don't know that you can just leave a tight end on a guy like Nick Boza to try to block him on the backside of, of Baker Mayfield. So some of those things, they they do have good plays. They, they don't move the ball consistently. They have been their own worst enemy since week one against Tennessee when they committed 18 penalties. They make a lot of mistakes. Uh, the week before, they didn't make many. They put up 40 points in Baltimore. Uh, but last night, I thought the, they, the defensive line of the 49ers, it, it looked like Shark Week to me, Ellie. It yes. looked like we should be watching the Discovery Channel. I mean, those, those, those greyhounds up front for the 49ers, especially when they jumped up 21 nothing. I mean, they were just teeing off. And it was tough. I mean, Baker was a piece of chum back there. But, you know, that game turned on a critical error by Antonio Callaway. I mean it's 14-0 and Baker throws a, a good pass right to the goal line and Callaway doesn't come down with it and he, the ball bounces off him and it's intercepted and 49ers go down and score and it's a 14 point turnaround. And even uh you know early in the game, I mean Baker was under duress, but he threw a ball to Callaway in the end zone and he just, you know, he just had alligator arms for the ball. You know, a lot of receivers that are hungry to catch touchdown passes, they'll take the hit. And go go get that you ball, think, and those guys really, didn't do it.
1: <laughs> really quick though, don't don't you think that that ball has to be thrown a little higher? I'm not completely absolving Callaway of it. I mean, he has to lean down to get it. He's not able to hold it. It pops up and it's intercepted. But I didn't think that was a was a great pass by Baker on that one.
0: Oh, it was right where it needed to be. It was low and away from the defense. Um, okay. Guys catch the ball at the goal line like that all the time. I mean, just I mean he's, he hasn't played at all. He's this is the first game back, and look, he got benched. Got benched after that play. That's all you need to know. They went to Derek Ratley for the rest of the game after that. I mean, between short arming the ball in the end zone and you know having a ball come through your hands and tip like that for interception. I mean, Freddie Kitchens benched him at that point.
1: So I'm happy you mentioned the name Freddie Kitchens because when I look at this Browns team, I think their biggest problem is coaching. I mean, that you start the game with it was either a first or second play, like a weird reverse to Odell. Where he ends up throwing the, bar, the ball to Jarvis Landry. And to me, that says two things. One, they're not really sure of their identity on offense because if you're going into a primetime game like that, you want to do what you do best to get off to a good start. You know, whether that's run the ball with Nick Chubb or whether that's, you know, getting maybe a hurry up with Baker or pass the ball. But to have Odell throw it, I thought showed they don't really have a true identity on offense. But two, I thought it was a bit of a desperation type move from Freddie Kitchens to go in there early on and make that type of call. I mean, like I said, you're prime time. You're on the road. You really want to get something going. You go to a a trick play. I didn't like that. To me, when I watch the Browns, it looks like Freddie Kitchens is in over his head. I think that, you know, handling him, Odell, Baker, like I just, I think it's too much for him. What do you see from an X's and O's standpoint on how Freddie's done coaching them?
0: Well, I agree with you on the first play. That was the first play of the game, was a reverse Odell to Landry. And I agree. I mean, Nick Chubb ran for 165 yards in Baltimore the week before, and he seemed to ignite the team, and he's a really good player. I mean, you know, you take the crowd out of the game by running the ball, uh, you know, on the road especially. And so I know that Freddie probably thought, let me feature my two wide receivers, let them know they're in the game. But I'm with you. I, I thought it was a bizarre call. I, I said almost the same thing to myself, uh, the way they started the game. they Freddie can... He, he can design offense and some plays. They just do some bizarre things. You know, mm-hmm. like they brought a tight end Demetrius Harris into block Nick Boza on the backside of a play on third and three and slid the line away from Nick Boza. And Demetrius Harris didn't have a chance to slow Nick Boza down. I mean, he, he ran right through him and hit Baker and affected the throw. So I, I thought some of the things they've been unsound, but they really – are undermanned on the offense line. They have very average tackles. And you, when you go up, like, you know, Baltimore doesn't have elite pass rushers, Elliot, so it doesn't really get affected very much. But when you go up against D Ford and Nick Boza and DeForest Buckner, it, it really, you get exposed. Because at some mm-hmm. point you're going to put five receivers out there and you're going to have your quarterback find out the best matchup and put it in his hands. But if your tackles really can't hold up and are going to get pushed, then, you know, but they didn't do anything to address their tackles. They they didn't do anything, you know, bizarre. John Dorsey, the general manager, they really brought you know, in fact, they lost their best lineman Zeitler in a trade to the Giants, and they didn't do anything to upgrade the line. And that's just kind of bizarre to me.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it obviously doesn't make life easy for Freddie Kitchens when you look, you can scheme up the best plays in the world, but if you don't have a good offensive line, it doesn't matter. I mean, I see it here in Philadelphia where Doug Peterson viewed as one of the better offensive minds in the game. And one of the reasons they're able to execute his ideas is because they have one of the best offensive lines in the game, if not the best offensive line. I mean, the Colts line is obviously very good, but uh, the Eagles are certainly up there. So if they don't fix that line, Freddie's not going to look good. But I still think, like, I don't know if Freddie's the guy. I don't know if he's a guy for this job. I don't know if he's going to be able to turn this around. And let, let's talk about Baker Mayfield for a second, because as normal, when they lose, Baker seems to say or do something or there's some type of controversy surrounding him. And this time we have two things. One is the the handshake gate prior to the game where Richard Sherman feels that Baker didn't really either shake his hand or respect him. I guess give him a nice enough handshake would be a good way to put it because there's since been video that's come out that showed Baker shook his hand to some degree. I guess Richard Sherman didn't feel like it was uh, good enough. And then, of course, after one of the plays where Bosa brings down Baker, He runs, he pretends to plant the flag, kind of a reminder and a shot back to when Baker did that at Ohio State. So a lot of different stuff surrounding Baker. Do do you think maybe his antics from really all offseason where he he talks about Daniel Jones and he, he involves himself in the Nick Chubb negotiations, do you think that Baker's off the field antics are part of the reason they're struggling or just a convenient excuse to lean on when they lose?
0: Well, he's definitely struggling. Um, he's not putting the ball where it needs to be put on a regular basis. He doesn't look like the same guy from a year ago uh, when he was, you know, he set a rookie record with 27 touchdown passes. He's not going to get there right now the way they're going. And, you know, some people think they have a better roster now, but, you know, he has to, you know, if I was Baker, if I, I mean, I like Baker, I know him and I, I've been around him and I like him, but yeah. if I was Baker, you know, at some point, you know, when your, your team, look, you're you're two and three, you're, you know I mean? You're, There are a lot of teams that are two and three or three and two. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is you fix what's broken. If I was Baker, it'd be better just to take a long hiatus from everything, like all of the commentary, and just concentrate on playing football. Because nobody, if you just play football and you really don't, you don't stir anything up. And I don't know that he did, actually, you know, last night. He didn't play well and the team didn't play well. But I don't know that. He needs to really, I mean, even to be sour with the media. Look, there's responsibilities that the quarterbacks have to have. They're going to ask you questions, and you may not like a lot of the questions, but they ask those same questions to Peyton and to Eli and, you know, to every quarterback that's basically come through here. I mean, I'm not saying you have to play nice. You could be yourself, but like, you can't just act and talk in disdain. There's a certain amount of camaraderie, there's a certain amount of decorum that you got to present yourself with. It's, You know, I mean, class is part of this game. And we like players that represent their organizations, their teams and the game with class. And Baker's more than capable of doing all of that. But I just think he just all he has to do is just look in the mirror and say to himself, am I playing as well as Baker Mayfield can play? Because if I'm not, then that's the only concern that he should have.
1: Yeah, so you said you spent time around Baker. I've only covered one game with him, and that was with the Eagles, so I didn't get a chance to, to interact with him. But to me, like, I would love the stuff Baker's doing. Like, that's right up my alley of, like, I, I enjoy when a quarterback has personality, when a player plays with a ton of confidence. But the, the downside of that is you have to back it up. Like, you have to play better on Sundays. And I, I agree, like, it's not all his fault. Although I will say it doesn't feel like he's been as accurate as he was last year. He's having a bit of turnover problems. But I, I enjoy the antics. But the problem is, again, you, you got to back it up. You have to be able to do to, to uh, perform on Sunday if you're going to be that type of guy. And I feel like maybe he did it a little early in his career. That's who he is. I'm happy he's not going to act like someone he's not. But I still think it's a bit of an issue. So let's talk about the team that actually won the game and a team that basically nobody is talking about, San Francisco 49ers. They, they remain undefeated. Uh, they look really, really good. I mean, you mentioned how good their defensive line looks. I think Shanahan is one of the best offensive minds in the game, the way he schemes up. I mean, it was like watching him versus Freddie Kitchens was almost an unfair matchup. With the way Shanahan moves that offense, they obviously look great running the ball. The only concern I have with them is Garoppolo. Um, At this point, it's hard for me to believe in a team fully when I don't believe in their quarterback, and I haven't seen great things out of Garoppolo so far. I want your take on both Shanahan and how that team looks, but also how you feel about Garoppolo.
0: Well, if you really look at Kyle Shanahan closely, you'll notice that a lot of players, a lot of coaches have gone on to other things that have been with Kyle. But there's one one coach that has been with him the whole time, and that's Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel is the run game coordinator for the 49ers. They lead the league in rushing. He went to Yale. I mean, this is one of the brightest minds in the NFL. Um, and, you know, he's been with Kyle all the way going back to uh, to the Houston Texans and Traveled to Cleveland, Atlanta. He's been with them at every stop. And he's not letting them out. I think he's the highest-paid assistant coach in football without a coordinator title. But when you watch from the very first play, I mean, the first play of the 49ers last night, Matt Breida went 83 yards for a touchdown. And yeah. the play is very clever. It's it's completely Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniels. It's it's their work of art. I mean, they it was a windback play to Breida. But the way that they – any single – Every single person on that offense that has a number where they can touch the ball, like anybody who's done an offense lineman, is capable of running the ball. Like George Kittle had his first carry last night, 18 yards. Uh-huh. But Marquise Goodwin, I mean, it could be anybody could carry the ball. All three backs, including Tevin Coleman, who made his debut last night, average 5.5 yards or greater. I mean, they lead the league in rushing by a mile. And their chunk plays in the running game, are astonishing in how they do it. And I, I just did a piece for uh, the NFL on the variation of their run game. Because if you would tell me that Matt Breida or Raheem Mostert, who you know, Elliot right here from Philadelphia. I exactly mean, we right. remember Raheem. Okay. I mean, he can average yep. five and a half yards a carry in San Francisco. And the scheme, you know, started with his, you know, with Mike out there in his own scheme, you know, in San Francisco, where like they had a different thousand yard back every year. But it's a little bit different now. I mean, their overloads and how they count. And really, when you watch the Browns and you talk about Kyle's just really bright, like I feel like they can't match the coaching of the 49ers, starting with the very first play last night. I mean, yeah. did you mention? I, did you hear the name Miles Garrett mentioned last night? I mean, Miles no. Garrett wrecked offenses. And they, they started a kid, Justin School, a rookie out of Vanderbilt, last night at left tackle. And you wouldn't know that it was Joe Staley or Justin School playing left tackle last night.
1: Yeah, and look, as you mentioned, I saw, I saw Raheem up close in Philadelphia. Eagles fans loved him. Eagles coaching staff wasn't really able to get anything out of him. So for, for Shanahan to be able to, to move the ball with guys that you know aren't, aren't top first-round picks, those type of guys, is very impressive. But again, Garoppolo, like, like, do they have the quarterback to get it done? Because we talked about this in the preseason with the Ravens, which is you know, they're going to be able to run the ball. They're going to be able to play defense. But sooner or later, Lamar Jackson's gonna have to get the job done. Lamar's arrow is pointing a little bit down after a really hot start. Ultimately, in the NFL, you have to be able to throw the ball to win. That's my biggest concern with the Eagles right now is that they're having they're having trouble moving the ball through there. They're 21st in the yard, it, it, 21st in the league in passing yards per game. Do you think if if they need to win a game like late in the season, if they're remaining in this NFC West hunt, they're at they're at uh, LA or maybe they're playing Seattle? Do you think Garoppolo can throw them to a win, and do you trust him to make those big throws?
0: Well, I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo play six games now this year, counting two preseason games, and he's gotten, I think, better in every game. Now, he's, look, he's completing 70% of his passes. Um, he's taken care of the football much better this year than he has, although he does have four interceptions. He had a pick six week one. I thought he's gotten better every year. I mean, there's a guy that, you know, a year ago he was done. He didn't play football for, you know, 10 months. And now he's out there. And Debo Samuel, I mean, they're trying to figure out what receivers you can throw it to consistently. The run game has been so consistently good that they really haven't had to ask Jimmy Garoppolo to do very much. The defense scored two touchdowns in the first game against Tampa. Cincinnati was awful. They ran the ball for 260 yards in that game. Pittsburgh started Mason Rudolph in his first NFL start. You saw how bad the Browns were last night. Um, you know, he had, like he's going to see the Rams this week, and it's probably where you want to watch him this week. You know, because the Rams and the 49ers, I think they mirror each other offensively quite a bit in a way they do certain things. <clears throat> so I, I, I'm, I think this is the week where Jimmy Garoppolo, you're not, I, you know, maybe, maybe they can run for 200-plus yards this week against the Rams. They haven't played well against the run. But I would guess that as the season goes on, your theory – could very well bear itself out. I, I, I happen to think that he needs a very good play action game and a great game called by Kyle against great opponents in order mm. to be really successful. If you're saying, you know, like go play, Aaron, go be Aaron Rodgers like he was against the Cowboys, and when things aren't there, just, you know, use your arm and your vision experience to go win the game, um, I, I don't know that Jimmy can do that right now.
1: Yeah. Well, the good news is I do think that he has a good chance of getting a good play action game because the running game is good and a good game called by Kyle. So I I think that there's going to be times this year where he's going to be counted on to make a big throw. And if he can make it, that 49ers team is going to be in the final discussion for like not only the playoffs to win in the playoffs because they have the other elements. So definitely very excited to see where that goes out. Another division that's Close, well i shouldn't say close because the cowboys and eagles are at the top and there's a pretty wide gap but one that looks closer than it did last week is the nfc so i want to picture pick your brain on that before we get into it as you know baldy we are a pro cbs game all access podcast and every sunday you can watch your local cbs game live with cbs all access you can catch games at home or you or on the go access all across your favorite devices go to cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. So as normal, we want you to watch all the games, and you can do it with the CBS All Access app and uh, uh, online. So the NFC East, let's talk about it because it's definitely been an exciting week in that division. Um, The Cowboys have lost two straight. They get smacked around by the Packers for the majority of the game. And the Washington Redskins have a new coach after getting rid of Jay Gruden. So let's talk uh, talk about Washington first. Some will say it's a long time coming with the firing of Jay Gruden. They haven't had a ton of success there with him. And, you know, the quarterback situation there is frankly a bit of a mess. Uh, so what did you think of the decision to move on um, from Jay at this point?
0: Well, I mean, Jay's the fall guy here. I mean, they're they're just a mess. Um, you know, I mean, they, they have been drafting at the top of the draft every year defensively. They're 30th in the league in defense. Now. You know, they, they've got five defensive linemen that are number one picks. Ryan Kerrigan and, you know, <clears throat> Deron Payne. I mean, all these guys are number one draft picks. And they're 30th in defense. I, I think they're put together poorly. I don't know why you would spend so many high draft picks on defensive tackles in this business. Um, they, they can't keep guys healthy. Offensively, their best player doesn't want to play there. Trent Williams. Um, that's an indictment on the organization. And maybe the way he feels like he's been treated. Uh, he's been a great player. Brandon Sheriff might be their best lineman, but he, he can't stay healthy. Um, you know, I just think Jay's just just a fall guy. I mean, I don't I, I think he probably wasn't in love with Dwayne Haskins. Not to the point where he wouldn't have loved to have had, you know, an elite offensive player to come in there and help the offense or defensive player. Um, you know, rather than take the quarterback at that spot. And they did. And then he's sort of, you know, I mean, we know what the quarterbacks in front of him, Colt McCoy and Case Keenum are. They're backup quarterbacks. And so he's not really given a true quarterback. And he hasn't had one. I mean, he's had to deal with all kinds of different guys through there. But he hasn't had a quarterback. And he's a good offensive. I think he's a good coordinator.
1: I I was going to say, I actually think a good spot for him if he wants to wait to get another job until next offseason. If I'm Cleveland, I wouldn't mind bringing him in as like a consultant type of role. And I don't know if Freddie Kitchens wants That type of big name and potentially pressure there, you know, with obviously bringing him in. But I think that Cleveland could benefit from him. I think that in a lot of ways, like a quarterback needs a good head coach to succeed. If you're a good head coach to win in this league over an extended amount of time, you need to be, you need to have a good owner and a good GM working with you. I don't know if any head coach could go to Washington right now and win. I mean, obviously, you're going to be tied to Dwayne Haskins, who I don't really have a strong opinion on one way or the other. I know a lot of people seem to be down on him already. I don't think he's been given a chance to prove and he's a, he's any good for better or worse. But I mean, if you let's say you were a head coach candidate and I think a team would be very smart to hire you one day. I mean, is Washington an attractive job at all? I mean, I know there's only 32 of those jobs, so it's tough to turn it down, but man, walking into that situation just feels like you're it's almost just like a money grab because you know it's not going to work out and you're probably going to end up being fired before the end of your contract.
0: Well, Joe Gibbs and Mike Shanahan have gone on there. You know, uh, along with Norv Turner. I mean, there's been a lot of guys that have gone there under Dan Snyder. And we know what's happened to all of them. And none of them have been successful. There's not one coach, not one coach, that Dan Snyder has hired that has a winning record. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of hard to believe. Now, I think Dan Snyder took over about the same time Jeff Lurie did. Elliot, you might know that a little bit better. But it seems like he, yeah. he came in around 94. And I know that's around, when Lurie came that was, in.
1: Lurie. That's when Lurie came in, right around there. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, you know, the Eagles have done obviously what they've done. Uh, since 94 um, even Ray Rhodes took him to playoffs twice but I mean what Andy di- did and you know of course what Doug has done I mean you know I mean they've they've been a, a great organization <clears throat> it starts with Jeff Lurie and you know the Chip Kelly thing fell apart and he quickly you know he got rid of it and he cleaned yeah. it up and he, he brought a good guy a good competent coach in so it's just it starts there but it's got to start with the owner and I just think that right now you, I mean it's tied to Bruce Allen and the owner and those are the only two pieces that are consistently here and so it, it seems like a lot of guys have had a hard time working for those two people. I mean, general managers haven't been able to stay and, um, you know, the owner uh, just fires people. I mean, whether it's the, you know, I mean, it could be any part of the, of the organization. He could just business staff, marketing staff. I mean, he's let a lot of people go. I mean, it seems like that's, he's part of the problem.
1: Yeah. And it, to me, this showed like, this showed the big difference between ownership and how much it matters because all off season, I would say the Giants were the butt of a lot of jokes. People didn't think Daniel Jones was the right pick. People were, you know, mad they hung on to Eli. Even though Saquon Barkley is very good, you know, people can ob- say a lot what a bad pick was he was at number two because he's a running back. And Gettleman's been the butt of a lot of jokes, but you see that. Now, like the, Re- the, the Mars are just a better ownership group and they're a better run franchise than Washington because the Giants are now looking a little more competitive. Daniel Jones looking good. And I think their future is considerably better than Washington's right now. So I agree with you. As long as Washington is kind of under this ownership and they have the GM problems, it's going to be really tough for any head coach to win there. And when you look around that division, the Eagles, their future is looking up. The Cowboys, their future is looking up. The Giants, their future is looking up. So Washington has a long way to go if they're going to want to remain competitive in this division. Um, speaking of the Cowboys, long term, their, their arrow is looking up. Right now, they're in a bit of a, a slump here. They lost a tough game to the Saints on the road. And then, as I said before, they basically get smacked around by the Packers for a few quarters before they make a, a late run at it when really the game was already decided. Um I've said pretty much all, all off season. I think the Cowboys are the best team in the NFC East. My confidence in that is shaking a little bit, seeing how the Packers beat them, how the Saints beat them. And now you look at the, the games that they've won, they've only really beaten bad teams. When you look at the Cowboys over the last two weeks, is it just that they're being outclassed? Like, Why are they, why are they struggling to beat these really good teams? Uh, is, is it Dak? Is it Kellen Moore not calling as good of a game? What's happening with the Cowboys?
0: Well, last week they couldn't tackle I mean, it was mm-hmm. uh, what Aaron Jones did to that defense last week. I, I didn't think I'd ever see from Leighton Van I Esch. I mean, I never, see a, I never saw a linebacker just reach and grab more than Leighton did last week. But it wasn't just him. I mean, Aaron Jones just left a wake of Cowboy players all day long. I mean, I, I'm not impressed at all by this Green Bay offense. But Aaron Jones was just – he was the best player on the field Sunday. Mm-hmm. And really, all Aaron Rodgers did was just lean on Aaron Jones. I mean – Jimmy Graham made a play, and, uh, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scantley made a play. I mean, the guys made a play here and there. But, I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers dropped back. If he doesn't like what he sees in two seconds, he starts scrambling and moving, and where can I dump the ball off to? I mean, that's the offense. It wasn't a great offense. I mean, they ran the ball. You know, just think about this, Elliot. In the 60-year proud history of the Dallas Cowboys, no opposing running back had ever run for four touchdowns in a game against them until Aaron Jones did. I mean, you think about wow. that. I mean, all the great running backs that the Cowboys have seen and all the errors, nobody, you know, I mean, Walter Payton, you just go through the list of uh, Wilbur Montgomery. I mean, all of the the running backs that have been in this business that nobody ever did that. And it really, if you look at, you know, if you go back to that green Bay Thursday night game with the Eagles, what was the problem? Red zone offense. I mean, they couldn't score. And so, when you can run the ball from the 18-yard line, from the four-yard line, from the two, like, like Aaron Jones did, you'll put up four touchdowns. But, you know, to your point about the Cowboys, the week before they got manhandled up front by the defensive front of the New Orleans Saints. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, Ezekiel Elliott ran for 35 yards in a game. I mean, he was shut down. So it's something every week. I mean, look, I don't put all three interceptions on Dak at all. But if that's what you want, if you're playing from behind and you want Dak to go beat you, then Amari Cooper's got to hang on to the ball and Randall Cobb has to hang on to the ball. And all the stats in the world don't mean anything. They, you know, Dak threw for 450 yards and they were chasing points the whole day. They're just, there's just something, you know, the other thing though that is hidden in all of this, and it goes back much farther than just this year, they can't take the ball away. They played five games, they have four takeaways. I mean, they just don't intercept balls. They don't knock it loose. They don't create fumbles. I mean, they just don't get the ball out. And that's not what good teams do in this business.
1: So do you think the Cowboys are still, I mean, two weeks ago, if me and you talked, we would have probably said they're one of the top three teams in the NFC. Has your opinion on them changed? Because if it's tackling, like, is that a long-term problem? Was that a one-week thing with Aaron Jones just having the game of his life? Like, do you still view the Cowboys as the one of the serious contenders in the NFC?
0: I still do. I mean, you know, t- teams can go through these. Like, I mean, Leighton Vanderesh put it all on him. i, mean, I got to get out to practice. I mean, I, I'm, I'm emb- he was embarrassed by the way he played. And so, you know, I, I think they have a lot of players that play the game the right way and are pretty, you know, self-reflective. And they'll go and take a look at that game film and take it to heart. And I wouldn't imagine, I mean, they get the Jets coming to town. So, I mean, they're not going to see a lot, even if Sam Darnold plays. So I would expect a turnaround. And look, it, it really is going to come down to, to week seven when the Eagles go down there to play. And, you know, whoever wins that game is going to be the front runner in the East, period.
1: Yeah, I, I I am super pumped for that game. I think the NFC East is going to come down to those two games, Eagles and Cowboys in two weeks. Then I think they play in week 15 or 16 at the end of the year. So I think that those two games will decide the NFC East. I don't think there will be enough of a separation between the two teams. Really quickly, you mentioned uh, Sam Darnold and the Jets. So I've been to every Eagles game for about seven years. So I've seen a lot of different teams in the league. Obviously, I think I've been to every stadium except two of them. The Jets this past Sunday were the worst team I have ever seen the Eagles play. So they are one of the worst teams I've seen in years. I mean, they had no shot. When that game went seven, when when in, when the Eagles scored to make it seven nothing, the game was over. When it was fourteen nothing, the game felt like it was an insurmountable lead. I get Sam Darnold's not there, and Luke Folk is not as good as Sam Darnold. I get that when you have a bad quarterback, it's really hard to, to run a good offense. That being said, you look around the league, Kyle Allen comes in for the Panthers, and they're at three or four and 0 oh with him. Uh, Andrew Luck retires three, two weeks before the season, and they have Jacoby Brissett. So now maybe different situations, Like, but my ultimate point is this. If I'm the Jets and I'm Joe Douglas, I am very concerned right now with what I'm seeing with Adam Gase as a head coach. The team just doesn't play with any passion. I mean, I was here in Philadelphia when Carson went down and Nick Foles took over. And, again, better head coach, Nick's a better backup. But the Eagles played with passion. Like, they didn't go into a game feeling like they were going to lose. It feels like with the Jets, the second something goes wrong, they think that game's over. I mean, Adam Gase had two weeks to prepare for that game. And they looked completely unprepared. He goes for it on. They're down 14 nothing. He kicks a 55-yard field goal that misses badly. Uh, it just looks like they had no game plan. Like, is Sam Darnold good enough to come in and save this train wreck? Or does it not even matter, really, at this point?
0: Well, I agree with you about your assessment of the Jets. I mean, Luke Falk was he – he's not an NFL quarterback. I mean, the first play of the game yeah. he gets sacked by Brandon Graham. They run double moves on the outside. All right, and he's holding it, but it's it's third and three. Um, you know, like he's got two open receivers. Just you know, it's just he doesn't know what he's looking at. Um, I've never seen. I, I've known Jim Schwartz a long time. I, I go back uh, to his early days at Tennessee, and I've seen him call a lot of games as a head coach in Detroit and a coordinator. I've never seen a blitz like that in my life, and he didn't have to. But I, I he knew what he was looking at. He knew that this guy had no idea what he was doing, and he sent a barrage. I've never seen so many blitzes in one game this year from any team, but I've never seen it from Schwartz. So he just wanted to knock this guy out and knock this, the Jets out. And and he did that, except for Corey Clement, just a poor decision on a, a bouncing punt. They wouldn't have scored at all. <clears throat> but I'm with you. I'm watching it going, Adam Gates has to be better than this. The, the, you, how did you arrive with Luke Falk as your answer? I, mean, I know he's a third quarterback. And he's not supposed to play. I know all that. But still, you have to. And if I watch Carolina play with uh, Kyle Allen right now, I mean, yeah, they've got Christian McCaffrey. But they run plays right now for Christian McCaffrey that you'd love to see for Levian Bell. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that and Bell can be Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I think he's a really good player. I don't know that anybody's like McCaffrey right now. But I see him clear completely, you know, with anticipation of what the defense is going to do. North Turner, I'm talking about run these plays where yeah. you just get Christian McCaffrey isolated in the middle of the field or on the outside one-on-one and nobody else is even in the area and you let McCaffrey go win. And you know, Kyle Allen is playing really good football and this guy just started his fourth game. And so, you know, is Kyle Allen that much different than Luke Falk? Um, you know, Kyle Allen hardly played college football. I mean, he bounced around from different schools, Texas A&M, whatever. But like, you know, I mean, He's played. I would say that Luke Falk played a lot more uh, where he, where he was, Washington State, wherever, than Kyle Allen. But Kyle Allen is winning games right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I just I don't know, man. I look at Adam Gase, and I got to know Joe here in Philadelphia. I know you know him, uh, you know, just from your time around the league. So I just I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for Jets fans. I feel bad for Sam Darnold. Like Adam Gase is not going to win a playoff game there. I would I would almost guarantee it. So. The, although I know you never want anybody to get sick, uh, I do think the darn old mono thing could be a bit of a blessing in disguise because we've seen what this team is. Like, If you're a head coach, you can mo- you should be able to motivate your team to be more competitive than they have been. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that this this Adam Gasing is not going to end well for the Jets. But before we get into the week five games, or I, sorry, week six, one thing I've learned from doing this pile with you now from, for almost two months is Whenever we first connect, we talk about what we want to do. I can tell right away what you're most excited about. And when I, when I asked you what you want to talk about, and you said you think the Colts have found the blueprint to beat the Chiefs, I need to hear what you, why you think that. Because the Chiefs obviously are coming off of that loss to the Colts. And Frank Wright, once again, cementing his, himself as one of the best head coaches in the league. But it was the defense that did really well in that, shutting down the Colts. What did you see in that game? And do you think it's something that can be kind of duplicated throughout the rest of the year?
0: Well, you have to, you know, remember now the Chiefs are playing without Eric Fisher at left tackle, and they, you know, they lost some linemen during the game. So it's not like in, you know, there's no Tyree Kill, and but nobody wants to hear any of that. I mean, that's yep. Patrick Mahomes back there, and he's got 13 points on the board. <clears throat> when you watch what Matt Eberflus, first of all, they got beat by the Oakland Raiders at home the week before, and it wasn't pretty. And when you watch them, they looked awfully soft on defense. Not soft from a standpoint of competitive. Just they played off. They gave David, uh, you know, Derek Carr some some throws. <clears throat> They went into Arrowhead, and they completely changed the approach of defense. First of all, they played largely zone in the first quarter, and they played nothing but press man in the second quarter. They changed up. <clears throat> they played press man in the third quarter, and then they held the ball and played keep boy in the fourth quarter. And if you look at who they're playing, they started four rookies. Bobby Okoriki is at linebacker for Darius Leonard. Uh, they started Kyrie Willis. I mean, they, they started rookies back there. And what they did was, whether they played man or the zone, they rushed four. They didn't send overload pressures. They didn't blitz. And Danico Autry won. And, you know, Justin Houston won. And, uh, you know, they had, they had different guys that, that, won, that won one-on-ones. And they got Patrick Mahomes down to the ground and sacked him a bunch of times and chased him a bunch. But they their press man coverage was as sticky as you can get. And, you know, Mahomes can extend a play and hold it as well as anybody in this business. And there just wasn't a lot there. And, you know, you just watch the way that they manned up. And they except I could just see Matt Eberflis in the meeting on Wednesday going, this is the only chance we have. If we don't man up and we don't plaster these receivers, we're not going to come out of here with the win. And I could just, and, and, he, and he got those guys to believe that they could do it with a bunch of young guys That are, you know, Kyrie Willis made his first start in the NFL. You wouldn't have known that it was him or Malik Cook or anybody else back
1: there. So are the Colts legitimate? I mean, whenever anyone talks about the AFC, we always say, okay, it's going to be the Patriots and the Chiefs, and we'll see if they're able to overcome them this time, if this is Andy's year. Are the Colts being slept on? Because if Andrew Luck was still the quarterback and they were playing this way and they just beaten the Chiefs, I think people would be saying, you know what, this is the, the Colts are right there. They can do it. Because it's Jacoby Brissett, there's a little less excitement. I'm not saying are they in the same class yet because that's probably not fair even though they beat them. But are the Colts a team we should be mentioning as that third best team in the AFC that could potentially go into New England, that could go into Kansas City and be a uh, surprise team in the the Super Bowl for the AFC?
0: Well, look, everybody gets 16 games in the schedule, Elliot. But not all the games are weighted the same. There are certain Mm -hmm. games that when you go play, they mean more. There's not a guy on that Colt roster right now that doesn't believe that they can't go to New England right now. If you go to Kansas City and win in that in that atmosphere, <clears throat> the way Frank Wright described it, there's no there's no reason to think that Quentin Nelson can't go knock the Patriots around in New England. Or they can't go to Baltimore, or they can't go uh, you know, to you know, to any of these AFC places. Go down to Houston and beat Deshaun Watson like they did in the playoffs game last year. I mean, that road win. There's not a guy on that plane ride going back home. We can't uh, going back to Indianapolis, and it's not a long ride. But there's not a guy on that ride that didn't believe that they can beat anybody in this whole business right now. And and, yeah. and and Jacoby Brissett has been just fine. He's been just fine. They played without you know T. Y. Hilton. They played without a lot of guys you know that have been banged up and stuff. But that offensive line, I mean, they they just Marlon Mack in that line is a great combination and a great formula for to go on the road anywhere and basically get the crowd to sit on their hands.
1: You know, it's it's not a full debate yet in here here in Philadelphia, but I think it's getting pretty close to the time where you have to wonder if Frank Reich is a better head coach than Doug Peterson. And that's not a slight at Doug. I think Doug is a phenomenal head coach. But it's possible the Eagles could have had two of the best head coaches in the league on their staff in 2017 when they went and won that Super Bowl and beat the Patriots because each week Frank finds something different to do to impress me and show that he is on that short list. I mean, Belichick always in a class of his own, but uh, I think Frank Reich is right up there. So I want to get into uh, some of the Week 5 games, but before we do, Baldy, as you know, hiring can be a bit of a slow process. And that's something, man, Cafe Altura CEO Dylan Mis- Miskowitz, he must not listen to the Prevent Defense pod a lot because he, he thought hiring could be a slow process, and he needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So what did he do? He switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job, so you get qualified candidates just like that super fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. So he used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, Baldy, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for business of all sizes and you can try ZipRecruiter for free at our website ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Baldy, we have some great games on the schedule this week, some some really exciting matchups. And the first one I want to get into with you is you touched on them earlier with Kyle Allen and how well Christian McCaffrey is playing right now. I want, I want two, two opinions from you on this. I'm going to hit you with mine first. I don't think there's a reason for Cam Newton to take another snap for the Panthers this year. If next, next year in 2020, if they cut Cam, they can save 19 million off the books. Cam, I think they've lost seven of their last eight starts uh, with him at quarterback. They just look like a better team with Kyle Allen. And it, it look, they have McCaffrey, they have a, a good defense and all that stuff, but I'm pretty sure Kyle Allen is like top 10 right now in QBR or something like that. Like he has played well. This is not just him getting carried and kind of managing the game. I mean, he is to a certain degree, but he's had to make some big throws. So let me ask you, do you think Cam Newton should take another snap for this Panthers team?
0: Well, he was awful in his first two starts. And the irony of this week's matchup with Tampa is that's when he got hurt. And he was awful against uh, Tampa in his first Thursday night matchup a month ago. So Kyle Allen has come in, and i you have to really – Take a long look at what North Turner is doing. I mean, honestly, Kyle Allen didn't throw the ball down the field until the third quarter when he hit uh, DJ Moore in the 52-yard pass, and it was a great strike and great play by DJ. But really, I mean, they just they create offense by formations and by movement that nobody has more pre-snap movement than the Carolina Panthers. It looks like uh, it looks like a game in the Big 12 right now. Uh, but they are getting matchups and numbers to their advantage. And they've got three really shiny tools in DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and the star of the show is Christian McCaffrey. And he kept me, Christian kicked me up this uh, today because I was doing some stuff for him yesterday. But I asked him if he ever gets tired. He goes, I don't have time to get tired. You know, like we're on a mission right now. I think this team plays better with Kyle Allen. And it's not a knock on Cam Newton. But Cam Newton wasn't healthy and he wasn't good. And I don't know that he was going to get good. I mean, he missed the whole off season, and I know what he has done. He has been a worthy MVP candidate in this league and won the MVP, and they went to a Super Bowl. But like sometimes, you know, the organization just passes you by. I mean, you you first of all, if Cam was healthy today, I wouldn't play him. I'd stay with the hot hand. I'd always stay with the hot hand. I, I would have stayed with uh, Dak Prescott when Tony Romo was healthy four years ago. You stay with yeah. the hot hand if if if. Nick Foles, who's healthy right now, I'd go with Gardner Minshew. I'd go with the hot hand until he's not hot anymore. And then you have to make a choice. But right now, Kyle Allen, he hasn't thrown an interception. He has fumbled a few times. But he's got five touchdowns, no interceptions, and three starts. Um, He's putting the ball in Christian McCaffrey's hands. They're getting explosive plays in the run game. And the defense is playing much better. And this game is going to tell a whole lot about how they're going to compete in the NFC South this weekend.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this decision is super easy for Ron Rivera. I mean, coming into this year, you can make the argument he was on the hot seat a little bit. One way he's going to make sure he's still the coach next year is continue to win with a young quarterback. And if you win with Kyle Allen like he has been, they can make the playoffs, get Kyle Allen some playoff experience, maybe even win a game, then you're definitely back if you're Ron Rivera. So it'll be interesting to see where uh, Cam Newton ends up next year because I think he is still a starting caliber quarterback in the league. But there's just not a lot of teams out there that don't have an option. I mean, there's Miami, but they're probably going to draft somebody. So going to be very interesting to see where he ends up. Really quickly, I'm picking the Panthers to beat the Bucks, even though it's in, in Tampa Bay. What about you?
0: Yeah, but it's, a, it's the game is in London. It's, a you know, because Tampa doesn't play a home game until November. Uh, they've right. been on the road si- since Los Angeles. He beat the Rams. But they played well on the road this year. So <clears throat> even played well last week. Uh I'm going, to take, uh, I'm going to take the Bucks in this game. I, I, I believe in what Bruce Allen is doing, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Arians is doing. I'm going to take the Bucks over in London in this one.
1: All right. So the second game, and I'll be in Minnesota for this one, that I think is one of the better games on the schedule. Eagles at Minnesota. Eagles coming off of a win from uh, against the Jets at home, but really not much to take from that. Outside of the pass rush, looked pretty good against a terrible Jets offensive line. Eagles offense only scored 17 points, and if I told you five, if I told you in the preseason that five games into the uh, the year that the Eagles would be 21st in passing yards, you would think maybe Carson Wentz was hurt or something happened. But really, all they've been missing is Deshaun, who, who's part or Deshaun Jackson, who's part of the passing game, but just one wide receiver. Something is off with this Eagles passing game. Whether it's Carson holding it a little too long, whether Doug's not putting Carson in the right position. But it's going to be a lot harder this week at Minnesota against a really good Vikings defense. Vikings seem to have fixed things a little bit with that passing game. Let me ask you about this Eagles passing offense. What do you think is going on? Do you agree that something seems a little bit off?
0: It doesn't seem to have. Now, they played games without Alshon Jeffrey for two weeks and Dallas Goddard was out. So they played games without other starters and other caliber-type players. Uh, But, you know, I mean, I, I look at some of the hits that Carson took. I even, you know, hit him up on Twitter. Like, I, I, my criticism of Carson is, he, he, you know, he loves extending these plays. is longer than anybody else. And, you know, sometimes he gets out of these acts. He gets out of these uh, entanglements, and he gets rid of the ball, and he saves the play. But there was a play last week where I don't know why he didn't throw it underneath and just get the ball out of his hands. But he was looking at Alshon deep, and, and it just didn't come open. And by that time, the Jets got there and Neville Hewitt has got him, and he's on his knees, and he bends him completely backwards, and he's yep. trapped under two Jet players with his knees bent underneath him all the way back. And I don't care how old you are what kind of athlete you are, nobody. Randall Cunningham, I've seen him do that many times. And eventually it caught up to Randall Cunningham, and the injuries caught up. But I, I forget about the injury history. No quarterback is going to survive if you look at him in these final positions, Elliot. And so... I know he's worked on trying to just hit the check down, get the ball out of his hands. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of timing right now where the ball's just out on time, you know, to some of these receivers. It seems like he's got to hold it and wait until somebody really comes open. And that's not good for long term. And especially against this defense that has some elite skill to it. Some elite skill. I mean, they got two elite pass rushers, two elite inside rushers, a maybe as good a safety as is in football and a coordinator that knows how to really take away what you want to do best. I mean, it's a big challenge. This is not the Green Bay Packers. This is a different defense, much different than Green Bay. Like Green Bay, you can run the ball down their throats. I don't know that you can do that to Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Carson has completed under 60% of his passes in a game for four straight games. First time in his career he's done that. The Eagles have been able to run the ball to victory, and then the Jets, you don't even really look at that game. Um, so I agree. Carson's going to have to step up. I think the Vikings win this game for what you just said. I think that the defense is something the Eagles are not ready for on offense, and I think that the Eagles' defense looked really good against the Jets, but going from playing the Jets' skill position players to the Vikings' skill position players is like going from JV to college. I mean, the, you Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Dalvin Cook – Christian McCaffrey's been really good for sure. Dalvin has been almost as good. I mean Dalvin's been unreal. So I think the Vikings win this game. What about you?
0: Well, but you haven't said anything about Kirk Cousins. So, I mean yeah. that's the that's the X factor. Now he was good against the Giants. They ran a lot of bootlegs in play action and Thielen and Diggs got involved and Adam had his best game he's had in a while. <clears throat> that's against the Giants. Uh you know, this is not a this is not a great offensive line of Uh, of the Minnesota Vikings. And under pressure, Kirk Cousins does not make good decisions. I want to see what he does. Uh, And and Dalvin Cook is all of that. But the Eagles are the number one defense in the league against the run. So that's their challenge, is to shut down Dalvin Cook. Uh, He's not easy to shut down. He's got elite balance, vision, and explosiveness. He looks better than I've ever seen him. Um, This is a good challenge for this Eagles defense. You know, The Eagles are obviously not strong at corner. And that's where the, the, you know, where the, Really, the Vikings offense can really be a strength with Diggs and Thielen, but they, don't, they haven't gotten the ball outside of last week to them. So mm-hmm. I, I feel pretty good about actually Philadelphia going into that stadium where every one of those guys knows the last time they were there, they won a Super Bowl. And I'm sure that Doug will have some sort of reminder that the last time they were in that stadium, they won a Super Bowl. So I, I like the Eagles this week.
1: Yeah, I don't know if Carson wants to remember that Super Bowl. I mean, he was on, this, on the on the team, not on the field. So, look, I think it's one of the better games of the week. And if the Eagles go into Minnesota and beat the Vikings, that'll be their third straight win. And Eagles fans are going to be really, really excited here in Philadelphia. But that'll be it for the Prevent Defense Pod this week. Baldy, look forward to catching up with you next week and talking about all these exciting Week 6 games. Talk to you next week, man.
0: All right, Ellie. You got it, buddy. Thank you.